0: Listener, discovery of humanity, and give your dad head, because today we're discussing Rick and Morty Season 3, Episode 2, Rickmancing the Stone. Before we begin, I just want to mention that there may be spoilers for any episode up to and including this one. There are also some spoilers for the saddest episodes of Futurama, so if you haven't seen all of the episodes, please go watch it really, really fast, and then come back here. And with that, enjoy the episode. I'm Joe. I'm Brendan. I'm Josh. So, first of all, general thoughts... Brandon, I know you really don't like it, so... Why am I even on here if you're gonna tell people what I think? Brandon, what did you think of the episode? I I I haven't heard anything before, I'm just curious. Wasn't a fan. Wasn't a fan. Well, would you mind elaborating on those feelings?
1: I won't say it was a bad episode of television, and I think that's credit to Rick and Morty, because I think that they have already set their standard for what they can produce so high, that if anything doesn't even approach that level, it feels mediocre compared to the rest of Rick and Morty. However, it's still very impressive as television that being said this has probably been the least impressive episode i've seen since the pilot ouch go into
0: why you don't like it that much
1: all right This episode, to me, felt like I was watching a spec script that had been written by a fan of Rick and Morty that kind of missed a lot of the nuances. It felt a lot more like straight to the point and stuck in the message it was trying to convey rather than trying to artfully convey it. I looked up a bit about the writers for this season so far. This episode was written by Jane Becker. I don't know much about her previous work. I think she worked on The Simpsons. This was her first episode. I think she's going to get better, but for me at least... Lisa didn't match up to the episodes that had been written by Roiland and Harmon.
2: I think you do have a lot of good points, Brandon. And I think one other thing to add on to that is that especially when it comes to the way that Morty is dealing with his issues that are brought up in this episode with the divorce and everything, we've seen Morty deal with issues through absolute mindless violence before. So I feel like that doesn't have as much of a
0: comedy factor as
2: it would if it were an original concept that we haven't seen before from one of the characters. Good
1: point. I hadn't thought about it.
0: Okay, here's the thing. I didn't want to do this because I knew I would walk away from this podcast disliking the episode more than when I came in. <laughs> You've only brought this on yourself. I absolutely have so, you both are absolutely right. Like, when I think back to watching it, I did feel a sort of disconnect, kind of. I don't quite know what the word is, but you're right that the Morty beating the shit out of people senselessly didn't hit home as hard as it did in the Purge episode. I think it's because they didn't use an upbeat soundtrack. <laughs> <It feels good. laughs> and for some reason, I didn't find Summer's fucked upness as funny as... But I guess it's because Morty's pathetic. Summer is much more of a human being. Morty's just a silly little ragdoll who gets dragged along on Rick's adventures and that's what's funny about him. Are you kidding me? Summer's a walking, breathing stereotype. But she's still a human in a comedy, you can put a box over your head and sneak into, like, a military base and no one notices you. But if James Bond tried that shit, we'd reject it. In the same way, Morty can be pathetic and wimpy and then go mental and we laugh, but if Summer does it, it just kind of felt dark. It's like if you saw Lisa Simpson become a
2: complete nutter fucking asshole for an episode.
0: <laughs> Honestly, in The Simpsons 20 million year run, I'm sure that has happened. And by the way, Brandon, you said uh, the writer, uh, Jane Becker, uh, you said she didn't work on The Simpsons in its Day, that's because everyone who did work on The Simpsons in its heyday is long dead.
1: <laughs> Matt Groening is alive and well. I don't know about well, but he's alive. <laughs> Yo, the man gave me Futurama. He can do whatever the fuck he wants with The Simpsons. With Summer, we've seen her get associated with bad characters before. We literally saw her pal up with the devil. But in that situation, it was like she was trying to fill a hole in her life. <laughs> Dude, shut the fuck up, both of you. It was like she... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was like she was trying to fill a hole in her life that was left by her grandpa and her dad sucking and (laughs) 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 Joseph, shut the fuck up. You're not making it easy. (laughs) You might want to use the term void. (laughs) (laughs) Left by her dad sucking so much.
0: You're doing this on purpose. (laughs) And it was just really hard for her, and it just needed to release all that tension she'd built up. And all she needed to just pound her way through it was a good (laughs) blowjob.
1: Okay, both of you shut up. (laughs) Okay, let's let's take it from the top, guys. (laughs) Alright, we've seen... Summer get involved with bad characters before, but that was when she literally got involved with the devil. That was more to fill the void that was left by her grandpa not really being interested in her, and her dad just being Jerry. In that situation, it felt like she was rebelling, but it didn't feel like she was necessarily wrong. In this, it just felt like, oh, I'll date the bad boy.
0: What you said just there did sort of clarify something. I know plenty of kids whose parents got divorced. We all deal with it in different ways, but what she was supposed to do is not kill people who are genuinely trying to flee from her and I mean even when she worked for the devil it didn't feel like she was in the wrong she was never directly complicit in cursing people you know she was like yeah I'll support this this is no worse than this is
1: no worse than what apple does
0: (laughs) yeah yeah like, I'm not an authority on divorce or anything like that. You will be one day. <laughs> God, look at us all in our functional families. So, I can't say what she should have done. All I know is what she shouldn't have done, and what she shouldn't have done is murdered innocence. And I get it, it's Rick and Morty. It did feel like Dark for the Sake of Dark. I don't like pure Justin Roiland so much. I like the Roiland-Harmon duo, because Harmon seems to temper some of what Justin's tendency is, which is Dark for the Sake of Dark. <laughs> What parts did you guys like? For me, the highlight
1: of the entire episode was Robot Morty having self realization. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: was incredible humor to me. That was really funny. He sounded kind of like Lemon Grab there, didn't he? You guys don't know who Lemon Grab is. You suck. Lemon Grab is also voiced by Justin Rillen, so it makes sense. But it was just, I'm a law! hello. The hello is what made it for me. (laughs) I was already laughing and then the hello, I was just, I had to pause to laugh. For
1: me, that was an example of classic Rick and Morty jokes. A moment of incredible drama, a very existentialist fear that just happens so fast and then just stops so fast that you just laugh because your head is spinning. It
0: felt a lot like the butter joke, the what is my purpose, you pass butter. Oh my god. Yeah, welcome to the club, pal. Exactly. It felt like taking an entire Isaac
1: Asimov book and compressing it into 15 seconds of a joke. It was (laughs) wonderful.
2: Josh, what'd you like? Well, you're totally stealing my thunder because that was one of the only good jokes. It was one of the best, at
1: least. Hooray, I'm not alone.
2: (laughs) I think another little gem was the joke when Summer is out with them in what apparently used to be Seattle and Hemorrhage looks at the billboard and says that he thinks that he was a child back. Before the boom boom, and Summer asks him if he wants to piss on him, and he says, Uh, get out of my head. I thought that was a pretty good one.
1: How old is Summer? 17? I think you're correct. So Rick and Morty were just fine letting her marry a guy who's like in his 30s or something. Like they were like very ready to go along with that. All three of them were Is there. Is he in for his 30s? I don't know. I'm assuming he's in his 30s. He's got a 30-year-old who dates teenagers mustache. <laughs> I mean
2: to be honest he has a 30-year-old who
0: hoards three-year-old children in his van mustache. I feel like three-year-old children are the currency of that time. We shouldn't judge. <laughs> Time to pedophile joke is 20 minutes and 39 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like overall her
1: character did not feel that redeeming. Especially because the only reason they didn't leave was because she wanted to stick around. And the reason why she finally lets them leave is not because she's realized her mistake in any way. Instead, she's just gotten bored and had one fight with her husband that we know of.
2: To be fair, Rick makes it very clear in his sarcastic dialogue that that was his plan the entire time to make her realize what the fuck she was doing by trying to... To settle down in a post-apocalyptic
1: version of Earth with some buckethead dude. I don't believe Rick was planning on that the whole time. I do not think Rick is that benevolent or well thought out.
0: Well, there's benevolence and there's I told you so. I can't say whether Rick was or wasn't. I know that she said, okay, Rick, you made your point. But I think she did learn a lesson. Not that this is a great thing for her to have just learned, but, you know, marriage is hard and sucks a lot. Maybe what happened is she got some perspective on Beth and Jerry's relationship and maybe felt a little softer towards him. But as the words are coming out of my mouth, I'm thinking she just experienced it from Beth's side. She doesn't really relate to Jerry's struggle. Buckethead is a lot like Jerry, so in that relationship she would understand how Beth feels having to deal with someone who's... I mean, he's not quite like Jerry. He's definitely less pathetic than jerry but you know when he takes off his bucket and he has the whole my mustache you know i shouldn't care and obviously i don't care about what i look it just felt very much like how i think whenever i'm talking to a girl i like which means pathetic and therefore like jerry ladies my number is (laughs) this seems to be
1: built on the idea that you are jerry Also, I just pieced something together about this episode. The plotline of the apocalyptic wasteland is exactly the same as the purge episode. All the peasants are destroying each other and fighting each other and murdering each other while the aristocrat sits high in his tower living the life And the climactic moment of that world is murdering the aristocrat.
0: I don't think it's...
1: It's not the exact same, but it's... It follows some similar tropes. It's comparing Star Wars 4 to Star Wars 7.
0: That's a reference. I understand. I totally... I have seen every Star Wars. I have seen all of the wars of stars. Joseph, the next time you try going to RTX, I'm going to tell everyone that you
1: haven't seen Star Wars so that no one will speak to you.
0: No, they'll speak to me. They'll just speak to me about how I should watch Star Wars.
1: Actually, that's one of many reasons why they won't speak to you.
0: I don't see it as so similar It because, for one, the, the aristocrat isn't causing this shit. He's just exploit he's the victim there he's he was born into the family business of slavery i saw it as of course a lot of apocalyptic stories take place in you know the poor people are all fighting each other and are in the worst conditions you can imagine while the rich guy is in his castle being bathed by taint and genital washers but that's because that's the world we live in how do you think donald trump lives i'm sure he's got a taint and genital
1: washer but
0: at least they're painted gold
1: What, the taint and genital washer are painted gold?
0: Absolutely. He's painted by C-3PO. See, I can Star Wars.
1: Oh, by the way, just in regards to this episode, shout out to Joel McHale, who voiced Buckethead. Joel McHale was on Community for all six seasons and yet still no movie and is just generally an awesome actor. I'm amazed at how many just awesome cameos they have for Rick and Morty. I mean, he was on Community, so. Yeah, so was John Oliver. He
0: was on Community?
1: Yeah. He played one of the professors. He has a hilarious line where he and his entire class are getting drunk. The principal walks in. He throws his glass on the ground and shouts, and that's what Jews do at weddings. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I thought I thought that was going somewhere much more anti-Semitic, but... Uh... Jesus Christ. You took
1: my perfectly fine joke and turned it into something vulgar. <laughs> that wasn't yours. In
0: my opinion, it was. Well, in my opinion, I made the Mona Lisa.
1: How do you guys think this episode stacked up compared to the other episodes that have been based on movies, like the Purge episode or the Inception episode?
0: I think it stacked up pretty well against the Inception episode. I think those are sort of on par. The Inception episode was not my favorite. I think my bottom two are, the bottom is Raising Gazarp Azarp followed by the Inception episode. Really not Get swifty? Honestly, I've watched Get Swifty a few more times, and I've grown to really like it. It's just a very nice commentary on religion and our search for meaning that is so desperate that we take any cause that we see and any effect that we see to have a relationship. Joseph, you're such a rebbie. But philosophy aside, I think it was on par with the Inception episode. And I guess that's a pretty big insult to a season three episode comparing it to the second episode of the series.
1: For me, the Inception episode is above this one. Like, I don't necessarily like the Inception episode. Well, I like it. It's just not one that I'm going to binge watch again and again and again. Um, But I do like it in how it adapts the movies that it knocks off. And even if I have problems with the dog storyline, it still entertains me.
0: So as someone who's never seen Mad Max, did this follow any form of the plot of Mad Max?
2: Only the beginning. And that reference a totally different part of the Mad Max movie.
1: It was stylistically based on Mad Max, but nothing in the storyline really was adapted from Mad Max, except for the guy at the beginning who was like breathing through the tubes and shit.
2: And the way that Summer was the low. Person that went to to kill him
0: specifically. I do like how the writers interpreted the idea of muscle memory. You know, as someone who studied neuroscience, it makes me angry, but also makes me laugh. It
1: felt like a cheesy joke. I liked it. I, I'm not saying I didn't like it. I liked it. It just felt like a cheesy joke of, oh, I'm injecting you with the muscle memory, and it's literally like the muscle itself has memories of days gone by.
0: I think it would have been cheesy if they had harped on it. Like, if he had family guided, if he'd been like, you see what I did there, audience? Huh? Do you? Then it would have been not funny. But it's funny because he's like well we're learning things about muscle memory and then it's not until half an episode later when we see the arm literally remembers being a dude chopping wood and getting burned alive i will say i did like those little flashbacks from the arm's memory
2: all the memories literally in the perspective of the arm that was actually pretty funny
0: to me and his name is armathy oh i i just thought of my favorite moment of the episode is when Morty's like no we, we can go back to the thunderdome and just start killing and then the the hand just puts its finger on his lips like shh. And and then he, like, wipes his tears away. There's a very sensual moment between a boy and his arm. Fitting that they were in a bathroom. <laughs> You're right. I didn't actually think about that. Another moment that was not as Rick and Morty as the Morty bot gaining sentience, but the arm trying to murder the blonde dude. And then uh, only half finishing the job. Yeah. Shh, shh. Now we're both accountable. <laughs> I like the line, the longer you wait, the more it's going to feel like committing a whole murder. <laughs> Let's say this was an episode of Futurama. Like, everything's the same, but instead of Morty, it's Fry, and instead of Summer, it's Leela. How would you have viewed that, do you think?
2: To me, it almost would have fit, because... Futurama's pacing is frequently a little slower comedically than Rick and Morty is. So from a pacing standpoint, which is one of the major gripes I had with this episode, I think it would have fit. So I've watched Rick Mansing the Stone like three or four times now, and the pacing is not the same as any older episode of Rick and Morty. The jokes aren't as back-to-back as they usually are. There's not the same comedic pacing as there is in the other ones. I mean, I had trouble paying attention to it sometimes. I've been playing Age of Empires 2 in the background while we watching this i mean futurama especially in the later seasons does get kind of dark and rick and morty usually puts more of a comedic spin on its darkness than than what we see in this episode
1: well rick and morty when they do it it's like a nice blend of comedy and uh, and horror when futurama does it it's like fry realizing that his brother actually loved him or us seeing his dog just waiting for him uh, to come home for the rest of his life
0: That episode was not okay. That was the saddest. That makes
2: me cry every time I think
1: about it. I cry whenever I see either of those episodes or when Professor Farnsworth gets to play with his parents in the simulation. Episodes like that don't happen in the context of comedy. It happens in the context of let's just throw something in there which in like 30 seconds is going to make you weep more than the entire movie Field of Dreams. It's a lot. It's brilliant, but it's a lot. With Rick and Morty, they coat it with comedic sugar to help the pill go down.
0: I kind of wanted to interrupt you when you were talking about Futurama to say alright let's not suck the ghost of its dick too hard You can draw some sort of broader philosophical meaning from, I think, most episodes. Come to think of it, I think the episodes that aren't my favorites, you can't really draw any sort of philosophical meaning from it. Can we draw anything from this? Any life lesson? Any we're all alone in the universe and here's why? Anything like that? God, I hate ripping on this episode so much, but fucking A. It leaves itself so wide open. Just go
1: for
2: it. So one of the reasons why I don't like this episode that much is that when you think of something like that, like what is kind of the message behind this, the moral standpoint that you have? have from any animated show. There's always one in an episode, but this one in particular feels like it's just the you can't hide from your issues. You need to face them head-on and deal with your problems like an adult, and that's how you grow as a person. Ah, oh,
1: it's just so overused. If anything, this episode is one that has more of a message.
0: Maybe that's why I didn't like it as much. It has more of a moral. Rick and Morty doesn't typically have a moral. It has a message about our place in the universe. It usually has an absurdist message as compared to this, which is Say moral family matters message
1: this is an anecdote i love bringing out but when seinfeld was being made jerry seinfeld and larry david had a rule which was characters are not allowed to learn anything they're not allowed to like develop as people they're supposed to stay the same horrible people the entire time they've gotten themselves in this situation but the situation isn't one where at the end they're just gonna kind of sit around like oh, i guess i learned something Something I like about Rick and Morty is it took the scale being from Seinfeld, so the classic learning old moral at the end of a TV show, and Rick and Morty proved that it's a spectrum that goes into the negative. You can actually, at the end of something, learn something awful. Or something that shouldn't be something you could learn. Like, if you have enough technology and you fuck up your entire world, you can just leave that one and step into a world where none of it happened. It's kind of Twilight zone You'll learn something, it's just not necessarily the thing that, based on your logic going in, should be the outcome. Like, with the memory episode, there is a moral, but the moral is the only true friends you can have are the ones that you have bad memories of. Otherwise, it's not a real friendship. Except Mr. Poopy Butthole, who is just the perfect friend.
0: And even that, it takes that moral, it's like, you can draw that moral from it, but then, then... Oh yeah, it completely invalidates its own moral. I love when they do that going off what you said on like 2.8 million people you said watching 2.86 oh sorry i forgot the 0.06 but do you think they have half-life three themselves which is to say do you think they have waited too long to come out with season three hype builds exponentially so do you think that the rest of the season can live up to the hype honestly i don't know when it
1: comes to the episodes from season one and season two, we have had these to like ruminate on for a while. Yes, they hit us very powerfully the first time we see them, obviously. That being said, I didn't feel the same thing from Rick Mansing the Stone that I felt from season two and season one. So I think there is a feel that you get the first time you watch it. So I guess my conclusion is I expect big things of this season, but I don't think that the fact that I expect big things is going to affect my initial reaction to the episodes enough to ruin it.
2: I just have something to go off of there. Hype goes exponentially to a certain point, and then it goes asymptotically. And I think that also relates to their subject matter here, where, I mean, this was clearly a parody on Mad Max to some degree, at least as Rick would say, uh, cosmetically, but maybe not thematically.
0: Old Rick, ruining everything!
2: So it's been a long ass time since fury road came out and i think maybe episode two in a new season of rick and morty that everyone's been so hyped about having something that is such a blatantly obvious reference to fury road which came out so long ago instead of making someone go oh that's funny fucking fury road reference and you know and theme throughout the episode that's awesome it's kind of more like a oh mad max And I think that's where the difference between you have the episode that was clearly referencing Inception, right? But not cosmetically, just thematically of them going dream to dream to dream to dream. Same with The Purge. It's more thematic than it was cosmetic. But this one being almost purely cosmetic, I think, is the difference that really made it have more of a eh and less of a ah.
1: Daily
0: Squatch ruining everything! Then we'll have Adam Conover
1: on an episode to ruin the marriage industrial complex. (laughs) I have a question about Beth and Jerry. This episode was probably the most malicious towards Jerry. In other episodes, stuff happens to him, but a lot of it is from his own patheticness, and it's all in good fun. It's acceptable schadenfreude. In this episode, he wasn't the sweet idiot. He was just a guy who the world was shitting on. It didn't feel funny. It just felt mean.
0: Okay, so I've been watching, do you know Wisecrack? It's a channel that basically deconstructs, shows, and finds some deeper meaning behind it. So, us except (laughs) successful, They did one for The Purge, they did one for Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, and they've done like five or six on Rick and Morty. And one thing they mention is Jerry is the counterweight to Rick in that Rick is someone who's very much aware of how little the universe cares and is extremely depressed, whereas Jerry is the center of his own little world, and that's where the universe will shit on. He's pathetic because he's too stupid to see how god-awful the universe is. He's just popping his little balloons in his game. He's like a dog trying to contemplate the meaning of life in the
2: universe.
0: Yeah, and he comes to belly rubs. I mean, ew, (laughs) he doesn't come to them. (laughs) But anyway, normally, like what you mentioned, when Jerry is in a simulation running at minimal capacity, there is a reason he suffers, and it's because he's happy in this world where everything is simple. Yeah, he's happy in this simplistic little nothing of a world, and he tries to leave the Jerry Bree in the second episode of season two, and he's faced with this, almost like a brief glimpse of looking through Rick's eyes, of just this unfathomable depth of the cosmos and how confusing as shit things are and how tiny humans are, and he just immediately runs back inside like, I'm gonna stick to the ball pit. Midnight run with DVD commentary first one there gets to adjust the picture settings but in this episode jerry is very much just i gotta say i did find the wolf thing funny when it's like do you want my food do you want my unemployment check you can tell the difference
1: that moment was briefly funny like the unless my suffering is your nourishment that moment was funny but it was a funny moment in the middle of something that could have been much better The ending, telling the same joke twice, felt like it was letting me down a bit. So that was my qualm about Jerry. My qualm about Beth is this is probably one of the first episodes that we've seen her independent of Jerry. So why did she feel so much like Jerry? You could have switched them out and they would have felt the same.
2: I think that relates back to the marriage counseling episode. They're absolutely 100% codependent. Without each other, they crumble.
1: I'm just saying that you could have switched the characters where Jerry's the one at home and Beth's the one who's at like a vacation spa or something like that because I can't imagine her moving into a hooker-ridden apartment complex. Dude, there's nothing wrong with sex workers. (laughs) I have no problem with sex workers. Only those that overcharge. Anyway, you could have just switched them out. Almost none of his lines would have been different, except maybe when he reacted to the fact that his marriage was crumbling, he would have cried more or have more of, like, an emotional response.
0: I don't think he would have noticed he was talking to robots of his family either. You're absolutely right. Remember we were talking in the podcast where we discussed the preview about what we want to see of Beth because we haven't seen enough of her? After this episode, I still feel like we haven't seen enough of her. We have seen even less of her somehow. We have seen negative of Beth. I want Beth to be a strong character. I think the most characterization we've gotten is in the Mind Parasite episode when we see Summer's flashback of Beth. That was a really funny bit, and that was a good bit of characterization. She's frequently drunk because she hates her own life, but won't let herself admit
1: it. We didn't really see Beth cope that much with the divorce in this last episode. She like has like a few moments of, oh, this is so hard, but we didn't see her get emotional. Beth is capable of being incredibly mean. We did not see her get mean at anyone. We didn't see her drinking a lot to cope with her problems. She was just kind of
0: an oblivious person in the episode. I'm not speaking to the writer's motives, but it just felt like the episode didn't respect her as a person. A good character is a person. Beth is... This could have been. She is a person who reluctantly chose family over what she could have had. She is Rick's daughter. She could have had so much more than that. And she is supposed to be this tragedy of a woman who just arguably made a mistake and had Summer and Morty. But what we get in this episode is, I think you could replace her with the lady on the bathroom signs and lose nothing. Except maybe eyes. The the lady on the bathroom sign needs eyes to cry out of. I wanted them to explore more the fact that she was leaving to
1: go call Jerry. I wanted them to explore like, wait, what does she want to say to him? Does she actually call him? What happens here? Have her be drunk during the whole episode and constantly trying to call Jerry so that she can tell him that she loves him and misses him
0: and Rick is spending the episode trying to stop that. Holy shit, that would have been amazing. Or even if she kept drunk dialing him when she's drunk she calls crying and like I love you and I miss you and I want and then Jerry comes over and by that point she's sobered up and doesn't remember having said any of that. That would have been a funny bit to do. That would have been good torture for Jerry. That one is acceptable. That would have been great like it would literally have been a guy coming back when his wife calls
1: him saying honey I don't want us to get divorced I love you and miss you and then when he gets back she has no memory of it It is just like no.
0: Get out. I could also see Rick keeps wiping her mind every time she says that. It's okay, we can wipe her mind. She's drunk right now. And then just so just every time Jerry comes over, she has no recollection of the conversation whatsoever. I want to write that episode now. I wonder if Adult
1: Swim has a comments or suggestions box on their website. <laughs> Anyway, those were my complaints with Beth and Jerry, but I also had a couple issues with Rick throughout this episode, one of which was Rick is so all-powerful with his intelligence that he can create portals from a pocket-sized handgun. He can create a battery that has a universe inside of it. Why the hell does he give a shit about a glowing green rock
0: that can produce electricity? Because it makes isotope 465 look like isotope 317. Thank you, Josh, for doing the research on that. I think you got that wrong.
2: No, he got it right. I think we
1: all had
0: this question of just, why? Why is this rock so special? I don't think he necessarily wants it for the power the rock can produce, but if there's a material, you can stick a light bulb on it and it just lights the fuck up. Okay, maybe there are things in real life that can do that. I genuinely don't know. But that would be interesting to a scientist, I think. To see if he can harness the power of it? Or even to see what makes it tick to maybe manufacture his own... To the Wastelanders, it means a life of pathetic suburban living. It's basically like what agriculture did
1: to society. It changes your society from, like, hunter-gatherer to domesticated.
0: Uh, what was it? But, uh, that's my point. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so i can see why rick would want a thing like that just because he can make things more powerful doesn't mean like that's a naturally occurring object that's pretty fucking sweet
2: and well i agree yeah he'd have some kind of basic scientific interest in it just because because of what it is they could have at least explained that in some way shape or form i
1: would have liked if they had made it not a given that he already knew what it was i w- think it would have been cool if Somehow they had been captured by the group of raiders and stuff, and they come across the rock while they're at the camp, and Rick realizes, holy shit, this thing has some
0: power off the charts. I have to steal it, without even knowing what it was. Do you really think they could get the rock for that episode? I mean, he's a busy man. I love the silence. I love the silence.
2: Good Lord, man. You really got to get a sound bank for some crickets.
0: I don't think even the crickets would be laughing at that joke. They're back at the box office demanding their
1: money back. Yeah. But Joseph, you definitely made a good point that there is reason why Rick would want this rock. I just don't think it should just have been a given that this stuff has value.
0: You're right. I guess I, I should not have had to distill that. It's a similar problem like I have when I'm writing shit, which is just assuming the audience knows what's in my head. What other hilariously pathetic things do you think happened to Jerry? Because I like to imagine that he got a whole bunch of STDs from the hookers in the parking lot, but he hasn't slept with any of them. It's just they sneezed on him on his way to his room. I think what happened
1: to Jerry is that he was interacting with a hooker and she subtly asked him for money in exchange for sleeping with him. And he gave her the money, but didn't realize that it was in exchange for her sleeping with him. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she... And he like thought that she actually needed the money to go get her car fixed or something like that. And he has like interactions with her in the staircase of Oh, is your car running better?
0: I can absolutely see Jerry do Honestly, I can see Tobias Funke doing that from Arrested Development.
1: There was one guy from Arrested Development. It was the guy who played Buster Bluth, Tony Hale. He voices one of the characters in Rick Mansing the Stone. It's like a more minor one. Death Stalker Eli.
0: Wait, was he the guy who, like their next door neighbor, the blue bin, that guy? I think so. <laughs> Next time Summer faces a shitty event like this, do you think she's going to deal with her anger in a similar let's run away kind of way? Or is there going to be a form of growth? I would say obviously
2: that there was a little bit of a resolution at the end of this episode where she went and visited Jerry. It felt a little artificial, a little bit forced for concrete character development in that she recognized that she couldn't deal with her problems by running away from them, blah, blah, blah. She had to go and reconcile a little bit with Jerry. I still hope that there's some fleeting tether of her issues with the divorce throughout some episodes just because i think there's some good writing material there and they should expand on it a little more and not just leave it at oh look she reconciled all of her issues with the divorce in this one action of visiting her dad at a hooker ridden
0: motel similar thoughts in terms of growth ah, this is the kind of episode i'm just gonna forget about i think you know i i feel like there's been this progression if i came into this like a bright-eyed innocent child and i've walked out being like yeah it wasn't a great episode
1: Hooray, Josh, we did it. We made him a cynic. Oh man, that's such a feat with Nemitz. We've
0: maintained his status quo. You sure pushed a pebble up a hill on this one. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I don't know to what extent the characters learn on this show. They do experience and they keep those experiences, but I wonder if Summer maybe will help Beth cope with the divorce thing. Oh, Christ, I I just, I'm so disappointed in Beth's story. We'd better get some Beth next episode. I want some fucking Beth. I want that B. Last question. We find out concretely that Rick did orchestrate Beth and Jerry's divorce. He couldn't have planted the idea in Beth's head. She was squarely on Jerry's side until he showed back up again, and I don't see how he could have orchestrated their divorce. I mean, it was a long time coming, but I don't see how he could have been the catalyst for it. What do you guys think?
1: I honestly think he could. Me too. He's a very wickedly smart person. He can plan incredibly far into the future. I think he is able to control people enough.
2: I would go as far as to say he successfully planned the original idea of them getting a divorce throughout episodes in season two and partially in season one with the amount of times that he blatantly just says get a divorce or gives them you know a choice between one or the other do this or just get a divorce already it comes up multiple times
0: he covertly planted the idea in her head by saying get a divorce (laughs) Yes, so
2: subtle. Like, it almost seems like both of them were just staying together for the kids and floating along in the marriage until
0: Rick came in and actually was like, no, just get a fucking divorce. Like, that's an option. Now, going off of that question, Rick is a really mean person, obviously. He's not someone anyone should ever look up to, but do you think it's too mean for him to do that to bet? Like, I think what I don't like is the deception. When it's Summer and Morty, he's openly an asshole. He's like, oh yeah, fuck you, you're literally pieces of shit and I'm going to prove it to you in a situation where we could die at any moment. But when it comes to Beth he's calling her sweetie and he's acting like he's on her side, there's just something that really rubs me the wrong way about that.
2: Do you guys feel that too? I don't know. I mean, look at the first episode of the season. He did
0: a lot of shit for some Szechuan sauce. But that's Szechuan sauce. Dude, I would break out of prison for Szechuan sauce. (laughs) But in all seriousness, that's his daughter and you can easily counter with Morty's his grandson and Summer's his granddaughter, but he's honest with Summer and Morty. He's not honest with Beth. And there's something about that that bothers me. He's never been 100% honest about the dangers of stuff, but at least he's openly addicted them as opposed to beth who he's iagoing her there's something that i just thought
2: of that kind of sticks out to me a little bit and that's that on multiple occasions in this season alone with just the two episodes that we have he's mentions that there are infinite versions of summer obviously we all know that there's infinite versions of morty but you never hear rick say that there are infinite versions of beth We even have an instance where there's infinite versions of Jerry in that fucking daycare. But there are never infinite versions of Beth. There's just Rick's beth i wonder
0: because on the one hand there would need to be infinite versions of course
2: there is but it's like they're almost trying to drive that perception that to this rick to rick c-137 there is only one beth and it's
0: his beth i think i asked this question in a previous episode but is beth his last tie to humanity is she the one person in the multiverse who still views him as the father she always wanted is that something that means something to rick Because, you know, he pretends like he doesn't give a shit about things, but we know he does. That could explain why I feel rotten about it, because it's like, he wants her to love the father she thinks he is. And he can't bear to reveal the father he is, which is the shitty one. Uh, we should probably end on a joke. So, knock knock. Who's there? Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening. This has been the Daily Squash, our non-daily Rick and Morty podcast, presented to you by Pancake Pug. If you have any questions and theories you'd like to share, if you have suggestions on how we can improve the podcast, or if you'd like to help me pick the name of my first child, you can find us on YouTube or Twitter at Pancake Pug, or on our website, PancakePugProductions.com.